0: what is the gospel? How are we saved? How can we get into a relationship with God? And both Selor two weeks ago and then Nontando last week just so clearly presented us what the gospel is and how we receive it as good news to our hearts and our souls. And then the, the second part of this series, this week and next week, we're really looking at uh, what I would call gospel culture. Uh, gospel clarity, what is the gospel, but then gospel culture are we living in the gospel? And are we living in the grace by which we are saved? And so this morning, what we're doing is, is taking the first of a two parter looking at the different ways in which you and I can be living in the grace of God in our everyday lives. That we're not just saved one time in one moment by grace, but actually we are then from that moment onwards, every, every step, every hour, every day for the rest of our lives, being sustained by the same power in which we were saved in the first place. And and so we're looking at gospel culture this week and next week, living out the gospel in grace, in the grace of God. And so as we're moving into the series, you can uh, turn, uh, find your way, tap, swipe, turn, whatever it is that you've got in your hand, uh, to Romans 5. And we're going to spend today in Romans 5, depending on time and how we're doing, we might jump into a little bit of Romans 6, but next week we'll be in Romans 6, 7, and 8 a bit more. Today, Romans 5, and uh, we're going to start reading Romans 5 in in, in just a moment, but I want to start by way of giving us an example, an example of how we can or perhaps cannot live in the grace of God. Uh, And if you, like me, have spent uh, any period of time actually living out the Christian faith, you'll realize that there are some ebbs and flows. You'll realize that there are some moments when you feel really close to God, and there's an experience of his intimacy and his closeness and his tenderness in our lives. Uh, And then you'll also know that there is another experience, uh, which is the moments when we perhaps feel a little bit more distant, a little bit drier, uh, finding it a little bit harder to, to access the grace by which we have actually been given free access, but sometimes because of our own doing. Perhaps it's our sin, perhaps it's uh, our perceived failures, perhaps it's our uh, too over-focus on our works and our performance and our sense of moral living. Uh, for, for some of us, even a sense of condemnation, there are times when we feel distant from God, even though that's not the case. And even though we know that's not the case, and yet the experience of that can lead us uh, to losing some of our gospel clarity. In fact, gospel culture is really important because it shows whether you've really received, believed, and are working out your gospel clarity. In fact, it's really important that you are clear on what the gospel is. But, but the opposite side of that is uh, you could be really clear on it and yet not live it out. And if you don't live it out, then what was the point in knowing it in the first place? We need gospel culture and gospel clarity at the same time. Uh, A long time ago, over 11 years ago, I was trying to figure out which university to go to, and uh, because of um, kind of just the way that God had planned out my life, I'd spent the first 18 years growing up in the UK, and then I'd spent one year serving a church in Cape Town, and just felt so won over to Cape Town, to South Africa, to what I believe God was doing that... Uh, I had applied and been accepted to UCT, but I'd also had this backup option of the university that I had been accepted to in the UK. And uh, I went back to the UK certain that all I was waiting for was the visa and I knew God's plan. Uh, And then I went to this youth camp that I went to every single year and uh, I was cornered by a guy who I'd really, really looked up to. In fact, my whole teenage years really looked up to him and uh, he happened to be uh, the brother of one of the pastor's wives in Cape Town who had told him that I was going to university in his city. And so he had cornered me and said, I, I, I want you to come to our church. I want you to lead this thing. And I, and I want to personally mentor you. And, and, and I was just like, I, I thought I was clear. Is this, is this God? And, and then all of a sudden this kind of whole new scenario came out. And I was like, well, maybe I should do this. Maybe what I was feeling about Cape Town was just the feels, the emotions, the experiences, the friends that I had made. Perhaps what God is doing is this. But wait, no, I, I, I knew that God had said stuff about Cape Town, but, but, but why did God speak to this guy? To and, and, and my head just went into overload. I don't know about you if you've had these moments, right? I was having this moment of having to make a decision, but, but not knowing what to do. And, and I'd written out my pros and cons list for both Cape Town and for Brighton, and I was trying to figure it all out, and I just felt so overwhelmed and unsure. And then a guy came to me at, uh, the next day at that camp and just said, you are striving to figure out what has not yet been revealed to you. Stop striving and start listening. And it just struck me in that moment, that's actually how I've lived my life thus far, striving, trying to figure out the next step trying to figure out what's the, the, the right decision for me next that's going to get me into the plans and purposes of God. As if the plans and purposes of God is about me making the right decisions, not about him pushing forward his plans and purposes and it's for my good, as Romans 8.28 says. And I just realized that striving actually undermines the grace of God. In, in the same way, friends, your failures Your perceived failures, the things you think you're not doing well at, undermines the grace of God. And just like your good works, the things you think you need to do undermines the grace of God. In fact, Paul writes to the Galatians exactly this. He writes to Galatians, and it's going to come up on the screen, that he, unlike the Galatians that he was talking to, did not nullify the grace of God. It's an interesting word, nullify. He did not, that he does not, but the Galatians are nullifying the grace of God. And and nullifying the grace of God means you're acting a little bit like Jesus never died on the cross. You're acting a little bit like his grace is not fully sufficient for you, or perhaps there's something more that you need to do to top up the grace that he has given you. And and that's why in the next verse, uh, in Galatians 3 verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, It is foolishness to nullify the grace of God. That word nullify is actually really interesting. It it can sometimes mean nullify. It can sometimes mean ignore. It can sometimes mean rebel. The vast majority of the time, it actually means the word reject. It's the same word that we find in Luke 10, verse 31, when Jesus said, as he's sending out his disciples, if they reject you, they are rejecting me, and they're rejecting the one who sent me. Rejection. When you and I act, live like the grace of God either does not exist or is insufficient to be able to sustain us, if we think we have to top up the grace of God with a little bit of extra works or a little bit of good living or a little bit of moral performance, if we have to top it up, what we're doing is nullifying but actually rejecting the grace of God. And that means that Jesus' work on the cross His works, given freely to you, are null and void in your life. You're acting like it's null and void in your life. And so what we really need in our lives and in our gospel culture, it is to be able to not just receive the grace in a moment, but to be able in every single moment in our lives, when we are tempted to, to divert back to our old selves, We need to remind ourselves afresh that the grace of God is fully sufficient, even in our weaknesses. And that means preaching to yourselves. In fact, uh, a a very famous pastor who who passed away on Friday, who I can can speak from the eldership team, has so shaped and formed our theology as a church, uh, Tim Keller. He speaks about uh, preaching the gospel to yourself every day preaching the gospel to yourself every day. So, so how good are you at doing that? How good are you in the moments when it's difficult to actually say, hey, Tom, no, I am preaching the gospel to myself. I do, am not the God of my life. I do not need to have every decision laid out in bold. I have a God who's looking over me and looking out for me and has done everything I need for him. How good are you at preaching the gospel to yourself? How good are you in the moments when you attempted to nullify or reject the grace actually you end up preaching that grace back to yourself. We had an experience of this this week in our community group. If you weren't there, you really missed out. But we, we had a moment when one guy in particular, Amandla, will not you come up and join me? Uh, when when Amandla had this revelation of God, and it was like a fresh experience of grace. It's like the grace of God was preached again to him. So Amanda, just tell us what, what happened.
1: God's good all the time. So on Wednesday we had um, a community group uh, hosted at Sister Loni's house, um, and uh, during the, the group, né, while we were praying, I don't normally get like visions, you know. Like I, I keep hearing people getting visions during prayers, like visions, 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 and so I had one, like for the very first time and it was so graphic, it was so, so, so graphic, so, um, yeah, I'm so nervous, by the way, I don't know, how I'm talking to um, <laughs> so surprised. Um, so, as I was praying, I just remember everyone praying, and as I was closing my eyes, I just saw, like, a hand, like, reach out, you know, I just saw, like, this hand reaching out, but, like, I looked closely to the hand, and there was a hole, there was a symbol of a hole, you know, and... Um, at that time, I was trying to reach for the hand, so I'm seeing this hand, this, trying to, this hand is trying to reach for me, but as I'm trying to reach for this hand, there's a void, there's this force holding me back, you know, there's this force holding me back, and I'm trying my best to like reach for it, reach and reach and reach, until I reach it, and until I reached it, with all this force that was holding me back, I touched the hand, and I just sensed this vibration in my body which I've never felt before, literally, it was, it was something else, it was, I wish that experience for anyone, it was so, it was so magical, and I just, yeah, the Holy Spirit was just working over time, I guess, so, yes, yes, <laughs> praise God.
0: On two fronts, okay? Firstly, this is a personal experience for a mandler, that God brings him back when there's something that's holding him back. But I think that also there's something in that for all of us as well. What are the things that you think are holding you back right now? What are some of the things that you think are causing you to not experience the grace of God? Not just know theoretically that it exists and it's how God saved you, but to actually experience daily life, what are the things that are holding you back? Maybe it's performance-based uh, mindsets. Or, or, or maybe it's a walking around of a sense of your own condemnation. I do this to myself all the time. I have uh, expectations of myself. And sometimes those expectations are not even the things that God would put on me. But I put them on myself. Or perhaps you're feeling like you're doing really badly at something. There's an area of your life where you're currently failing in. Those are the things that are going to draw you away from God. And the response to those things is this. Just as Amanda had a fresh experience of God reaching out to him. So you and I in our daily lives, whether it's through preaching the gospel to ourselves or whether it's taking moments when we encounter his grace afresh, we need every day to experience the grace of God again. Not to theoretically know it but to experience it in our lives in a way that, as I can speak for Amanda, he was irresistibly pulled back to God through the work that God did on the cross. Are you experiencing this irresistible grace, as theologians call? And our response to any of us who are, who are slightly struggling to, to live in grace is really simple. Go back to what grace is. Go back to what grace is, egg fresh. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read from Romans 5 and and freshly take a look at what grace is with the aim of applying it to our lives and actually laying down those things that are causing the void in our lives. And so in Romans 5, we're going to read a few different verses. They're going to come up on the screen. I'll also say the verse numbers uh, because we're going to jump a few verses here and there. Starting from verse 6. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Jump down to verse 15. But the free gift, and that should trigger something in us from last week's message, Nontando, preaching the free gift, it's the the grace of God, right? So the grace of God, the free gift, it's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17. For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, Will those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, this morning, we want to come to you with fresh expectation or even desperate need to receive the grace of God again in our lives. Lord, thank you that your grace is not a one-time deal. It is inexhaustible because you are inexhaustible. And so, Lord, we pray right now in this room that many of us would have fresh experiences and encounters with the amazing grace of God. We pray this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, Romans 5 talks about the grace of God in, I think, two really big ways. The first thing that I think we see in Romans 5 about the grace of God and how we should be applying it to this life is that Paul, who is one of the brightest people to have ever lived in human history, seems to be really struggling to understand just how vast and deep and rich and lavish this grace really is. There are lots of more than statements, and we have them uh, written out for us here. They're going to come up in bold on the screen. But we have uh, a few of these more than statements, starting in verse 9, right? Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. And then in verse 10, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And then verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have received reconciliation. It's like Paul is trying to wrap his mind around the extent that grace changes us. It's like Paul, this incredible theologian, this this master church planter, this apostle who who, uh, writes more of the New Testament than any other person, is thinking about the grace of God and he's thinking, oh no, it's more than even that, full stop, but actually, wait, it's even more than that, full stop. Oh, no, but wait, it's even better than that, full stop. Can you see Paul just struggling and striving to think about all of the incredible implications of the grace of God? The grace of God is better than you think it is. The grace of God has done more in your life than you think it has. That The grace of God, no matter how long you spend trying to think and wrap your mind around it, it will always blow you away. There is something mysterious about grace. There's something so mysterious when you think about how you have received that grace. You just think, wait, I don't deserve this. Wait, uh, th- this should not be. You, you look at Jesus on the cross, you, you look at the, the, the nail-scarred hands, and you think, wait, that should have been me, not you. This doesn't make any sense. There's something mysterious about grace. There's something that we almost struggle to comprehend about grace. It's, it's a bit scandalous. It's like, that shouldn't have been you. That, sh- that should have been me, Right? But then then you remind yourself of what grace is. And actually, it, it completely makes sense. In one sense, it doesn't make sense, and you're constantly striving to understand what it is. In another sense, grace is undeserved favor. Grace is merited to you the things that you never earned in the first place. Grace is the ability and the power and the right to delight in the one who delighted in you when you were not delightable. Grace absolutely makes sense. It makes sense that we wouldn't understand the full extent of grace. It makes sense because it cuts against the performance-based criteria in which our entire lives are discipled in, in this world. Everything is about performance. Everything is about how you do. And grace cuts against all all of that, which is why in one sense it doesn't make sense. But then when you understand what grace is, you're like, of course this makes sense. It's about the free gift. It's about not earning, deserving anything. It's about God just showing off his goodness towards you. It's about God just saying, I chose you not because of what you did. I reconciled you to me, not because of what you did. I restored you to everything you were meant to be, predestined you, adopted you, ransomed you, delivered you, saved you, freed you, justified you. And it was not about you. It was about the grace of God in your life. Which is why in verses 6 to 9, we have a description of ourselves that seems like we should never inherit the grace of God. In fact, our starting point in grace is this. We are weak, we are ungodly, and we are Sinners. This is the message that Nontando preached last week. That, that we are actually spiritually dead in our sins. We, we are blind, we are lost, we are orphans, or we are strangers, we are cut off completely. And so grace, anything from that position is good, right? Anything from being a weak, ungodly sinner is anything. I don't have to be the king of kings, I don't have to be a prince in his palace. Just 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 don't make me dead, right? If I was dead in my sins, if he just makes me alive, that's a massive deal. That's more than I could ever do. That's an incredible, from that starting place, the grace of God to make me alive is amazing. But Paul's not saying that. Paul's not saying that grace has done enough in your life so that you're no longer dead. Paul's saying that you were these things, but then this happened. Oh, but actually much more. Oh, but actually much more. And then again, more than. Do you understand that the grace of God is going to be something you're going to spend the rest of your lives trying to figure out? It's going to be the rest of your lives thinking about, oh, so grace means this, and grace means that, and grace means this. It's inexhaustible. The the grace of God is going to ever confound you. It's going to ever make not sense in your life. And that's because it doesn't come from you. That's because it comes from one who's so much bigger than you, someone who's infinite, someone who's eternal, someone who's unchanging in nature. The grace of God is this thing that Paul seems to be struggling to wrap its mind around. Whatever you thought grace was, however good you thought it was, you're going to spend the rest of your life thinking it is so much better than anything I realized. You're going to be freshly amazed at the grace of God, which is why in any moment, we start acting like that weak, ungodly sinner that we no longer are. The moment we start thinking that we have to try and make this work for ourselves, the moment we start beating ourselves up because we did or did not read our Bible on this day, the moment that we start thinking that our career or employment interests or, you know, our our family relationships or anything that we have in our hands or in our lives is based on us and not on the grace of God, is the moment we start to lose sight of the fact it's better than you think it is. Jesus is better than you think he is. Students, you're going to be writing exams in in a couple of weeks' time. And and you're going to be tempted to think that, that you need to sacrifice things for the sake of your grades. But I just want to remind you that Jesus is much better than any grade you're going to get. I just want to remind you that his grace is sufficient so that even if you completely flop that exam, nothing has changed. I just want to remind you of that. Okay, Those of you who are in careers and in job space... I just want to remind you that your boss's words about you mean nothing if you've got the approval of the great king of kings. I just want to remind you of that. Parents who are in the room, when you make that next parenting mistake, I just want to remind you that they've got a heavenly father who's going to be much better than you are because his grace is fully sufficient. I just want to remind you that grace is better. Grace is more than. It's the more than, the more than, the, the more than this, the more than that. And what we actually find is that Paul carries this on, right, as if there's not enough more than, or if there's not enough demonstrations that grace is better than anything that you think, we then come to verse 15. In verse 15, we read that the free gift, the grace of God is not like the trespass, right? We read much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man Jesus abounded for many. The grace of God is abounding. That's the language of Scripture. It is abounding. There is an astonishing abundance of the grace of God in your life, which means in any and every moment in your life, if you just turned back to grace, you would find your freedom. If you just turn back to Him, you'll find not enough to get you by, but an overflowing abundance that comes from God Himself, as we've already said. God is eternal in nature. God isn't going to run dry of the thing he knows you need. God's not got enough grace for you to get by the next few years, but eventually he might run out. And so, you know, start building up some of your works, please. That's not how grace works. If God is inexhaustible, if God is eternal, if God is everlasting, then so is everything that comes from him, which means everything you receive from him is not going to fade away. It's not going to grow stale, and that means you never have to go dry, or weak, or weary, or tired, or burdened, or overwhelmed, or anxious. You never have to experience those things if you are caught up in the overflowing, eternal, constant slipstream of the grace of God. If you know in every moment you will experience anything that might be a void between you and God, you know you can just turn back to the God's grace. And this is a this is written to us in verse 15 as a gift. But then in verse 17, the more thans keep coming. And, and Paul is not done yet showing us the extraordinary lengths of the grace of God. In verse 17, we read this. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through him, much more will those who receive what? The abundance of his grace, right? Do you see the astonishing abundance of God, right? If you receive the astonishing abundance of the grace of God, the free gift of righteousness, you will what? Reign in life. And yet, how many of us walk around so condemned in life? How many of us walk around with our failures on our shoulders? How many of us walk around feeling like our closeness, acceptance, proximity to God is based on how much time I have spent with him this week? You are called to reign in life, not feel bogged down by life. You are not meant to walk around with heavy shoulders. You are not meant to walk around with the cares of the world resting on you. You are not meant to walk around thinking that you need to top up His grace in your life so that you can feel close to Him again. The only thing that qualifies you this reigning in life, this this blessed life with him, is to continue receiving the abundance of his grace. And so for those of us who feel heavy, for those of us who are feeling condemned by ourselves, for those of us who fall into the the trap, the, the deadly trap of thinking that if I spend more time with him... I can get closer to him. What you should be hearing from the grace of God in Romans 5 is that the only requirement that you have to not just eternal life, but but this feeling of reigning in this life, is to keep on receiving the abundance of his grace. This is an astonishing abundance. Are you living in it? Are you living in the abounding work of the Lord? And yet, somehow, there's another more that comes. In verse 20, we read this Where sin increases, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Do you see once again the connection between reigning in life and receiving the grace of God? Do you see that all you need for a life lived in the pleasure and the delight of your father is to receive his grace afresh? Do you see these things happening here? The abundant grace of God is actually on display, not in Romans 5 alone, but it's on display everywhere. Throughout Scripture, in all the ways that God has shown to us, in all the ways that God has revealed to us, right, his bigness, his vastness, there is this uh, revelation of who he is so that whatever he gives to us matches who he is. If God is inexhaustible, his grace is inexhaustible. If his love is everlasting, then I will receive that love everlastingly, right? If he has adopted us and said that there's going to be no weapon formed against us, then you are forever secure in who he is. And so the, the revelation of who God is tells us that he is abundant and that his grace overflows for us. Yet also we find that when Jesus comes on the scene, we have a man who is described in John 1 as being full of grace and truth. In fact, in, one, in John 1 verse 16, we see that the fullness of him have come through whom we receive grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, more than the abundance of grace. Are you getting a picture of what grace is in your life? Right? Jesus Christ displays grace upon grace in symbols and in stories. He displays it with the wedding wine in Cana. He, he displays it with the fish that's so vast it's sinking Peter's ship, right? He displays it in all of these symbols to help us get pictures that the grace of God is not just inexhaustible, but it's uncontainable, and it's everlastingly going to overflow in your life, right? The grace of God, the abundance of God is here, and it will lead to us reigning in life, or, or "Leave it living lives with righteousness." So if we're thinking about gospel culture, what we've really got to ask ourselves is this: Are we positioning ourselves to receive His grace? Are we positioning ourselves? Are we doing what we need to? Are we turning back to him in order to receive this grace? Friends, as we jump into Romans 6 uh, next week, we're going to read things like we are no longer enslaved to sin in verse 7. We're going to read things like we are dead in our sin and alive in God in verse 11. We're going to read things like sin has no dominion over our lives anymore. Do you understand that, that all of those things exist? Because every time they try to claw at you, the grace of God will overflow in you. Do you understand that anything and everything that's going to hold you back or or try and take that void from you, every single time you can experience an abundance of the grace of God? Or do you think that he wants you to walk around in your life heavy, dejected, sad, depressed, and then you'll come into heaven like Scrooge, the grumpy one, right? Or like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just grumbling and complaining like, God, you did just enough to give me what I needed in my life, but that was it. Do you think that's your father's plan for you? Or do you think that there is an abundance of the grace of God that's going to cause you to reign in life? Do you think that perhaps, as we've seen here, there is a more than, more than, more than that comes from his grace? And again, I'll remind you where you were before the grace of God. I'll remind you of the position that you were in. And I'll remind you that it's not just that he did this, then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, right? Romans 5 is the chapter of more than. He is more than. He is more than. He is abundant in his grace. And so, friends, this morning, as we respond to this, I think that there are some of us in this room who need to shake off the things that are causing voids in our lives. I think there are things in us that we actually need to confess. There are things that actually we need to repent of. There are things in our lives where you just can say, hey, this thing is called a gap, a break, a divide. And I know that's not my Father's plan for me. I know His plan is my abundance. I know His plan is His love being poured out everlastingly. I've used three examples of how this could play out in your life. Perhaps it's those nagging sins that are not going away. Or perhaps it's the striving to do things in your own strength rather than trusting that He is enough, that His grace is sufficient even in your weakness, that His power is made perfect in your life. Well, for a few of us, I think it's a sense of condemnation. A sense of condemnation that's not being imposed on you by anyone but you. A sense of, I'm not good enough. A sense of, if only you really knew the depths of my shame. We sang a song called Amazing Grace, it was written by a man called John Newton. John Newton lived in the 16th uh, and the 17th century. And John Newton might be someone who we would refer to on this continent as the worst of the worst because he was a slave trader. He spent decades of his life coming to this continent and enslaving people and then treating them in the most despicable ways that we've seen in all of human history. And then God breaks in John Newton's life and he gets saved and he becomes a pastor and he writes these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. And then a little later on in his life, John Newton loses his eyesight. So he becomes physically blind. And he starts a friendship with a man, uh, the the abolitionist, William Wilberforce. And as William Wilberforce is trying to rally people to the cause of ending the slave trade, John Newton takes no part in it. Not because he doesn't believe it wholeheartedly, But because even though he's saved, even though he's writing about amazing grace, his experience of life is guilt and shame over all the things that he had done in his past. In fact, in one famous encounter with William Wilberforce trying to convince John Newton to to join his cause, John Newton just screams out in this church service full of people, there's still blood on my hand. And he breaks down crying. And he's saved. And he's singing and writing songs about grace that centuries later, we're still singing. And yet still he was caught up in his own sense of guilt, his own sense of shame. And I I tell you that story because if God can deal with the most despicable things that we can think of in the world, the worst of evils in the world... Perhaps His grace is abundant enough to deal with the most despicable things in our own hearts. Perhaps the things that we feel guilty about. Perhaps the things that we feel ashamed about. The things that you haven't shared. Because theoretically you've responded to grace. But you need gospel culture, you need living. We need to be reminded that the grace of God is more than. It is astonishingly abundant.